podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to the TWS Sports Podcast. Don't, don't be upset by a northern bloke. Ronaldo, he looked at me, smiled, he never done it again. What's in there, Mickey? He went, oh, that's about 300 grand in there, kid. If I'm on the opposite end of an argument, Piers Morgan, that's a very comfortable position that I'm happy to be in. I think I'd be up there with one of the most irritating cricketers. Tom, we were getting on so well until that question. <laughs> you boys are going to get absolutely hammered. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to the TWS Sports Podcast, the only podcast in the UK which is hosted by autistic teenagers who interview some of the biggest names within the world of sport. From world champions, World Cup winners, international athletes, Ryder Cup golfers, Ashes heroes and many other sportsmen and women, we delve deep into their sporting career, the highs and the lows and what makes them one of the best athletes in their sport. But that's enough for me, I'm going to hand you over to the stars of the show, Tom and Avatar who host the podcast and I'll let them introduce today's guest. See you later. Hello and welcome to the TWS Sports Podcast. Good morning Avatar, how are you? I'm fine. Good, good. So as you heard in the introduction, it says Tom and Avatar, but sadly Tom can't join us today. So yeah. myself, Adam's going to jump in and support Avatar. So we can we can do this together. Yeah, together. Yeah? Yeah. Joining us today on the TWS Sports Podcast is an Olympic gymnast. She's the current individual trampoline world champion and has won two Olympic medals. Welcome to the podcast, Bryony Page. Hi, thank you so much for having me. No problem. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat to us today. If you could go back to one year in your life, what will it be and why? Oh, uh, that's a really good question. <laughs> Probably my first year getting involved in trampolining, um, just because I'd love to experience like not being able to do what I can do right now and learning it all uh, with that excitement and the challenge and the 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 first year that I got involved in trampolining I also met all of like these long long friends that I have now still um so it would be nice to kind of just relive all that and just get that fire from from trampolining knowing what I know now just to be able to kind of understand like why I was suddenly so passionate about it and what like just stepping on the trampoline for the first time and understanding how much joy it brought me um and knowing that I've got however many decades left, like to be able to experience it, I think that's really exciting. Who is the most famous people a uh, person in your phone book? Oh, <laughs> um, <laughs> in my phone book, maybe now Wilson. He's gymnastics. Uh, he's quite yeah. famous. He's got this on YouTube. Um, yeah, probably him. I think. <laughs> If you could travel alive sure. with everyone a day, who would it be and why? Well done. If you could trade lives with anyone for one day, who would it be and why? Yeah. Um, <laughs> these questions are really, really good. I've not been asked any of these. So um, I so definitely have to think about this. Who would I trade lives with for one day? One Only one day? One day. One day only. 24 hours, you could be mm. another person. Ooh. Can I say David Attenborough, but whilst he's like filming something um, really in- incredible for Earth or uh, nature or something, um, because I think his his obviously like I studied biology at university, so animal and plant science um, really interests me. So I think yeah, tra- knowing what he does and and having the knowledge in his brain to be able to be him for that day and understand like he's lived such an incredible life um and continues to like do incredible things so i think trading trading a day with him i get to experience um or i would be able to remember everything that he's done in his memory so i think that would be pretty incredible we've asked um your guest number 29 i think we asked them three questions for everyone and david attenborough is not the first time that's come up so that's a new one for us (laughs) <laughs> After, I've never asked you this who would you be for a day um, if you could be oh, anyone in the world for a day who would you be I think so everyone yeah if you could be a different person yeah for one day and one day only who yeah. would you be uh, I want to be like um, footballer, um, a striker a striker for Man City yeah <laughs> brilliant I right okay having that feeling of hit uh, kicking a goal yeah yes. just the crowds are going wild yeah who would your sporting heroes growing up and 
how did you get into gymnastics in the first place? Um, so I got into gymnastics uh, because so my, my parents were both quite sporty um, and my dad got me involved in sports that he liked um, just because it was easier for him, I guess, just to kind of bring me into, into that world. So I tried out football. I tried out uh, tennis. I wasn't very good at them. Um, but one of my friends from school uh, did dance. So I went into dance and tried that out. And then a friend from dance did gymnastics. So I kind of just um, went in that way. And from gymnastics, uh, that was back in the in the States. I used to live in America. When we moved back to England, uh, the gymnastics centre that I went to um, was, it had a trampoline squad alongside the gymnastics as well. So I just, when I was doing my gymnastics classes, I'd be looking over at the trampolinists, do, like jumping really high and doing somersaults. And I was like, that looks like so much fun. Like, how do they get so high on the trampolines? I want to have a go. Um, so I'd be distracted in my gymnastics sessions, wanting to try out the trampolining. So it only made sense to do a whole session dedicated to trampolining. Um, so that's how I got involved in that. For my idols growing up, I had quite a few. Uh, internationally for trampolining, um, there was Irina Karaveva, um, who's our first Olympic champion back in 2000. Uh, it's multiple world champion and European champions. And she's she's the most decorated trampoline athlete, female at least, in the, in the world and out of our sport. So um, I actually did compete with her in her last competition. Um, so she'd been competing until she was, I think she was 37 maybe or in this competition um and she won her first worlds at like when she was 14 so she'd been competing for a long time and I was able to compete with her on the on the last on her last competition so that was really exciting for me uh so she's she's a Russian athlete and then Anna Doganazzi uh she competed for Georgia and Germany um potentially another country as well but she competed again until she was 39 she's also an Olympic world and European champion what inspired me the most about these athletes is that they are their careers were so long and they were so successful at the top for so long. But also when I met them, they're they're both really, really lovely people, um, really humble. Um, they you can tell that they really enjoy the sport and they have a lot of respect for the sport as well. So um Irina Karaveba actually was re- awarded the gold medal at World Championships. Um, but she later on um realized that they got the scores wrong. They've got some either a difficulty score wrong or something. Um, and actually she shouldn't have won. So she returned her medal and said, this this needs to go to the rightful owner. Um, so I think like just, they didn't, they don't need to do that once the competition's over like that, the results stand. So, but she was like, no, they're clearly wrong. And so she returned it. So one of her world championships titles, uh, she actually gave that away to uh, the uh, Anna Dognazzi, I think won it in the end. Um, you wouldn't get many people doing that. No, you don't. So um, I think just the respect that she has for a competitive sport, I think that's something that I uh, respect a lot as well. So, Was there a point in your childhood or teenage years where you thought, actually, I'm, I'm really good at this. I could, I could become professional. I could make it to the top. Was there kind of a turning point in your career? I think there's like a couple. So the first few years um, of my trampolining, I had so much confidence. I thought I was the best in the world. No. <laughs> I had so much confidence in what I was doing um, and just loved it so much and kind of went through the ranks from like lower levels up to the national level quite quickly. And that's that I, that was quite easy, easy for me um, because I, I took to the sport really well from gymnastics background um, because I was always on the trampoline. If somebody took a step off, I'd be the first one on and I'd be on there until somebody told me off to stay to get off. So I was really dedicated to it as well. Um, and then it then that's when this thing started to um, take its winding journey um, through various different um, like mental, physical injuries. So, um, or not quite mental injury, but um, not being able to take off the skills. So a psychological um, issue there and uh, injuries with, I had, I had osteoarthritis in my knee and stuff. So um, the, so when I first started trampolining, I was like, oh, okay, I think like it would be really cool if I could make it onto the Great Bridge team or to national level. Or so I'm kind of trying to make make it to that what I thought was the top level I could make. Um, and then it ten years later, <laughs> um, that's when 
I realised that was my first senior world championships uh, in 2010. Uh, first world championships ever, actually. I didn't manage to make it as a junior. Um, so I competed and that's the competition that I competed against Irina Karaveva. Um, and I finished uh, fourth, just outside the medals. And I was because I was competing against these people that I had been watching and studying and, you know, idolising, they'd competed at the Olympics. And I was like, well, if, if I'm fourth and I'm competing among them and they've gone to the Olympics, maybe I can go to the Olympics. So it was back in, in 2010 that I started to think that this was something that I could do um, well, more full time eventually. But I was at university, so I'd waited, I waited until I finished university to go full time athlete. Yeah, but I think it, you don't as you go through the rankings, you don't really think, oh, it can be a professional trampolinist just because it, it's just a funded space. So we're, we're funded by UK Sport. Um, so it helps us to be able to be a full-time athlete, but I don't really see it as, or didn't at that time see it as being a professional athlete. You mentioned the <laughs> university. I'm sure you've probably been asked this quite a lot. When me and Avatar were doing a bit of research yesterday, we found out that you did um, your dissertation on the signs of dinosaurs. Yes. Right? Yeah. That's a very <laughs> interesting dissertation. And how, yeah. how do you do it on the signs of dinosaurs? <laughs> yeah. Um, so... Yeah, I did it on the sounds of dinosaurs. I think it was, it was called the acoustic signaling in non-avian dinosaurs, so basically not birds. I really enjoyed the paleontology lectures that um, I took at university. Um, so I applied to have the, we had like one paleontologist lecturer that we could have be assigned to for a dissertation, but I, I didn't have the scores to get him. So someone else got him as first choice. So uh, the lady that I was assigned to did sounds of birds and like raw uh, urban areas. So she was like, and I was like, I'm really passionate. I really want to do something about dinosaurs because I find, or at least fossils and paleontology, because I find it so interesting to be able to come up with theories and ideas of how they behaved, how fast they ran, um, you know, all these different characteristics about dinosaurs based on like half a piece of fossil, like half a bone or a, like a tiniest bit of soft tissue that has been preserved um, and how people can kind of compare that to their closest lived relatives, which are alligators, crocodiles and birds. Um, so she was like, OK, well, you can do something on paleontology. Obviously, I'm not an expert. However, I do know a lot about acoustic signaling. So why don't you do something about the sounds of dinosaurs? So that's how it came about. Um, and I actually really, really enjoyed my dissertation. However stressful it was, I really did enjoy learning about it. Yeah. And I was very disappointed uh, that it's most likely that dinosaurs didn't roar like they did in the movies, which makes me quite sad. But oh. yeah, but they have much more interesting sounds that they could have made. So what? Can you give us an example? <laughs> um, yeah. So some theories are like a whiplash, like um, a sonic boom as they whiplash the uh, tails. So, you know, okay. the Dokus or Brontosaurus, the, the one with the tall neck. Um, that there's some theories it ha that you had to have like cars at the end of the tail. And that's the kind of the piece of puzzle that's currently missing, unless it's been discovered in the last however many years that I've not been studying, um, that they would whiplash their tail and uh, whip their tail and get a sonic boom. I suggested that like crocodiles and alligators that the uh, T-Rex um, or velociraptors might have jaw clapped. So alligators and crocodiles jaw clap. So they like uh, basically open and shut their jaws to make a sound. And this is a display to their mates to, to, to try and attract mates. So I said, oh, maybe the dinosaur did this, but who knows? It could happen. There was elongated like snouts um, or pastures within their uh, nasal cavity, which could have made like a long, uh, lower frequency sound, like a growl kind of like the wary bird i don't know if you've seen that they've got a crest on their head so they're able to make like low frequency sounds you like the gymnastic version of ross keller <laughs> oh yeah maybe <laughs> you complete in your first world cup champions in 2010 in france what was that like for you so i kind of touched on it earlier about um that that was the first time that i realized that or that I thought maybe I could make it to the Olympics. So, because I was competing against people um, that had gone and that I'd been idolizing, that for me, making the final for that competition was such a big deal. Um, I was so excited to even make the final and to compete among people that I've been watching. But we were, I competed in the first group and uh, there was, I think, five flights of, of so five groups of people. Um, I competed in the first one, so I had to wait the whole competition 
to see if I'd made the final or not because I was happy with my performance um, in the first group it it had scored quite well and then in the next group I was watching it and um, I was saying to the people next to me I was like oh she's really good she'll definitely overtake me and then she'd like just not quite hit the score so I'd be I was like oh my god I've just beaten this person <laughs> and then like someone else would be like oh my god, she's really good she's definitely good don't worry about this it'll be okay I don't mind her overtaking I'm, I'm you know I'm expecting her to do that and so it kind of just went like that until the last group um where I was like right there's there's five people in here that are like world champions <laughs> so they're, they're quite likely to overtake me and I'm um in a position where I might just miss out on the final and I was prepared for that but yeah I just made it and it was a very exciting time um I was really proud and finishing fourth um for me at that time I wasn't missing out on a medal um I was coming forth and and finishing like just outside the podium and that was an extraordinary thing for me your first ever like big championships that's a huge achievement thank you yeah it was um I didn't I don't think I realized how how uh significant that was at the time but for me it was like oh wow uh, it felt very exciting and I felt very proud and like just marching out with those finalists I was like very very emotional um like really happy to be there just very excited but yeah so I think the significance of it was because I didn't realise for that to happen in my first world championships and then how many attempts it's taken me uh, to make finals again. I've only been in three world championships finals. I've competed in I think eight or nine world championships. So um, to do that at my first one. And until a few weeks ago, uh, fourth was my best uh, result at a world championships. So um, it was, yeah, it was a really surprising result for me. Moving on to a few years, obviously, I imagine the London Olympics in 2012 was a, a big goal for you. But you missed out, was it due to injury or illness? How difficult a time was that for you to miss out? Yeah, so I wasn't very successful in the trial uh, competitions. So, um, yeah, I did have problems with my ankles. Um, so I was training in, with a lot of pain. I wasn't able to fully train like the hours that I needed to. Um, and then, so the first, that was kind of through the process of the first couple trials and then leading up to the next trials event um I had some like lung infection so I was really struggling to get through my routines with my like routine fitness like breathing and was really struggling to to train through that as well so it was just a very rocky trial process and unfortunately that kind of knocked me out of the continued process it was it was if you don't make it through to one competition which is the next trial event then you you're kind of knocked out so um whereas the the trial process now is a is quite different it's not like knockout everyone gets a similar sort of uh, chances mine was like knocked out early i'm done so yeah. by the time it came to the closer to the games i was um not first i wouldn't have you know i wasn't the best to go um but i was i think i came runner up in the national finals so um <laughs> But that was showed my potential, I think. Um, but yeah, so I, I missed out, um, and it was really tough because because I knew I had more in me from those initial trials, um, and that I wanted to, you know, make do the other trials and and show what I could do. It was really really tough, and for it to be things that, you know, I was trying to I was trying to train through um, my injury, and and that obviously made it worse. And so it was a very big learning opportunity for me to know what to do and what not to do in certain situations and I think what I was able because I was knocked out so early actually it was a blessing in disguise because I was able my name was able to be put forward for the uh, British Olympic Association's um, ambassador program so it meant that it's potential Olympians they from different sports they all kind of collect together um, and get to go to workshops and and listen to inspirational people and get some of the kit and go to the Olympics um, for a couple of days and watch their their event and also other events and just see how the Olympics works. We were able to go into the village to see what that was like. So we were able to go to the London Olympic Village. We were able to go and see like kind of behind the scenes. And I had two experiences that have really hold captured me captured my attention and are going to be in my memory for the rest of my life it's so strange just looking back to it um the two experiences was one uh the absolute disappointment and just like gut-wrenching it was the heartbreaking to go into the arena 
um, and watch the trampolining and not be the person on the floor um, competing. Just walking in, I just, tears just started going, just streaming from my eyes and I couldn't stop them. Um, It was really strange because it wasn't like I was crying. It was like, I wasn't, you know, hysterical crying or anything. It just tears. It was really strange. Just my eyes watered. (laughs) And I just was like, I don't know. I'm just, it's just there. I think it was like, that was the the moment that it hit me that I hadn't made the team and that I wasn't going to be competing at home Olympics. Um, So that was such a negative emotion. I didn't ever want to feel that again. I wanted, so that motivated me uh, in training to make sure um, I could, I, I'd always capture that feeling to, to train hard to avoid it. Um, but then on the flip side of that, because of this ambitious program, I was able to be inside um, what's called a nearest and dearest tent. So it's where um, family and friends of somebody who's competing as part of Team GB all gather together, watch it on TV if they can't get tickets. So I was, I was able to go in this tent as a cyclist was winning gold and experience their family and friends just like cheering them on, erupting, feeling all that happiness, joy and excitement and just of that pride. And being in that tent and feeling that emotion, um, that positive emotion, that for me was like, right, I really want this. Um, I Like it was that positive motivator that drove me on. So having the complete extremes of missing out, not making it, and then what could be and experiencing that, that joy and emotion for friends and family and what I could bring uh, to everyone that supported me. Those were two massive motivators um so yeah so I've got gut wrenching and heartbreaking it was not to make the London Olympics like the right person 100% went for our country uh did very very well um and I learned so much from that experience and definitely drove me to be able to to make it to uh the next few years and and to the Olympics must use it as good motivation um but I want to ask being a champion gymnast is obviously must come with a lot of of injuries I imagine because I can't imagine jumping as high as you do you must have had some bumps and bruises along the way um it's interesting to say that I actually haven't had um like a like a traumatic or um instant sort of injury apart from a broken arm when I was younger which was um which wouldn't have happened now because the safety measures that they they have now we have to have index there wasn't an index when I first started trampolining here and we just had a spotter and I flew over them so and that you know it wasn't um a big injury it was just because I you know hit my arm on the way down um so and you know broken finger because landing short putting your hands down so nothing major um no sort of like accidental injury like that the injuries that I have had are through kind of overuse overtraining um and not listening to my body so or growing <laughs> so my first of the Oscar Swatters that's because I had a growth spurt and basically like the muscle the bone grows faster than the muscle can catch up and it starts pulling on <clears throat> excuse me it starts pulling on the the knee uh joint so just really irritating uh the front of the knee causing causing pain um and also like your legs give way which is not good when you're on the trampoline because it's going to be very scary because it basically like makes you flip by mistake um so that was just from from growing and then i've had like uh, problems with my ankles and bony stress because of just training through pain and not taking that time out when I needed to um, because of just not listening to body and being like oh it's okay like I'm just used to this so actually as I've got older and the last few years I've actually felt the fittest and healthiest I've been on the trampoline for well since being an adult at least I can I can't believe how much pain I was jumping in before I didn't realize that that wasn't normal um because I was just you know we're athletes so we jump you know train through pain it's just the the way that it is um but I didn't realize that you could jump pain free <laughs> mm. so um I think that's definitely helped the last few years just like taking a break when I need no when my body needs it and kind of recovering and focusing on recovery before uh pushing in training rather than pushing in training then recover it's almost like you actively recovering before you've got heavy session to know that you can uh, do that session and monitoring loads and yeah responding to what your body's feeling so we've got some really exciting news for the TWS sports podcast we've been shortlisted for a sports podcast award which is absolutely incredible opportunity for the podcast so the sports podcast awards are recognized globally so 
if you have a sports podcast, you can enter. And there are hundreds of thousands of sports podcasts around the world. And over Christmas, the judges shortlisted us to the final eight. So we are in the best equality and social impact category. We're up against some great podcasts from the BBC. There's one about the Olympics and there's lots of other fantastic podcasts. And it's down to the public to vote for a winner. So we really need you to vote for us if you can. If you just go on www.sportspodcastawards.com and then look into the best equality and social impact category. And please, please, please drop TWS Sports Podcast a vote. We'd really, really appreciate it. Tom, come to you first. How do you feel being shortlisted for, for such an award? Well, I'm very grateful for it. And I think it's an achievement for all of us um, to go hit that milestone, really. So, And also, uh, like already mentioned, please make sure to vote, everyone. It is it's just an incredible achievement for a small special school in, in England to be shortlisted for an award against these huge TV corporations and, and huge other podcasts, such as the Olympics and the BBC. Just incredible. So we really, really need all our listeners to vote. Please tell your friends and your families and your colleagues to vote as well. It's really simple to do. So just head to www.sportspodcastawards.com, register, search for the best equality and social impact category. It does only take one, two minutes and really, really appreciate your vote. After I come to you, what how do you feel about being shortlisted for this award? Um actually um that award we give us like um we try everything we want, like me, Watkins, Adam, we supported to like uh, the award um, ceremony because, um, yeah, we've done it. We're proud of us. Everyone, we're proud. Yeah, definitely. We are very proud. I'm very proud of you boys because it just shows how much your hard work and determination and skills have developed and how it's now been recognised by people globally how how good the podcast that you host is. So it's time to you, you two boys and your hard work. So congratulations on your shortlisted boys. But we want to win, don't we? So please, please vote for us. And we really, really appreciate all your support. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. You won your first championship in 2012. What was it like to win gold medal and how do you celebrate? Um, is that for World Championships team? Yeah, I think it was. Yeah. Did you win a team yeah. role in yeah. 2012? Yeah. Um, so I think it was 2013, I think, where we won our first World Championships team. Unless it was. Uh, yeah, no, I think it was 2013. Can I just, before, before you answer the question, because oh. I'm, not, I'm, I'm not a huge gymnast fan, if I'm honest. Yeah. What, yeah. How what's the difference between a team and an individual? Yeah. Like, um, yeah, how do we that's okay? Um so for the team event, it's basically so for a world championships, every other year there's a team event for trampolining. Um so when that happens, everyone competes in the individual prelims uh, for individual competition and posting scores for the team final. So uh normally you could bring you can bring four people. Uh, from country so there'll be four ladies um, and you compete a this is the competition structure is changing next year but for the purpose of this um, (laughs) the you you, all four of you will compete a set routine which is like the simple the more simple routine and you have to get technical excellence and then the top three scores of those four people will then go be added together and put towards the team score then everyone will compete their second routine, which is an optional, which will be the hardest skills that you see in the most difficult routines. Um, and then the top three scores from that. So it could be different athletes, but the top three scores from your four will then go and be added together, added to the, the other score. Um, so the scores that you've posted as an individual will then qualify you to the next round as an individual. But also if the team score is in the top five team scores, you'll then go to the team final. Um, and the team finals are a separate, um, it'll be a separate time slot. And it, the routines, there will be, you'll choose three of your four people to go up and compete in the team final. And it will be all three scores count. So if someone bodges it, someone messes up, that's, you kind of let out, there's there's no second chances. Whereas in the prelims, if somebody does, you still have 
three other people because it's all four of you. So it's three up, three to count, um, just one routine, um, and then their scores are added together. Uh, so you still compete individually, but yeah. the score is added on. Um, so what was then, that like then to win your first sort of gold as, as a team? Yeah, um, it was a difficult one for me, actually, because I was that fourth person on the team. So I didn't get to compete in the team final. Um, so it it was interesting because it's hard to watch wanting to compete, but also knowing that my score probably wouldn't have contributed as well as somebody else's. So it's almost like um, feeling part of the team, definitely, because, you know, you've gone in. They needed you in the in the prelims to to have that backup score just in case, and feeling part of that team and watching them compete and and knowing that you're kind of up there with them but just slightly missing out. So it's an it was interesting because it was like you want to feel joy and happiness for for the team and for yourself being part of that. But also you've got that slight disappointment of not um, contributing in the final, but knowing you know you could have helped in some way. Um, so it's. It's a mixture of emotions because obviously when you win that first medal, you'd like to be, you know, directly involved with it rather than yeah. just kind of on the sidelines. Um, but it's it's kind of like if you're a football player, you're sat on the bench and you don't get to compete in that, you know, final round of, of a World Cup, but you're still part of the team that wins. And so it's like, you know, you've trained with those. So it's a very exciting time, but it was also difficult to, yeah. not, to not compete. Yeah. So then would you say kind of after that event, you then won, I think it was the British, you won some more worlds, you won the European as well. So was it after that that your career kind of really took off, would you say? Yeah, I think so. I think, I think 20, I'm trying to think when, I think it was, yeah, 2012 when I won a World Cup individual gold. Um, and then 2013 won another World Cup individual gold. So yeah, I think it was after 2012 uh, Olympics that that's kind of, I started to show myself on the world stage a bit more. Okay, it it is such a difficult thing because it's not like a trajectory trajectory that goes up all the time. Like I have dips and I have you know um, peaks. So yeah, but I think that that motivation from twenty twelve Olympics um, that I was speaking about earlier that definitely like drove that trajectory upwards and upwards. Um, even if there was a small dip, it would keep me get me out of it um, as quickly as I could. So moving forward, then four years, you obviously had the, the Rio 2016 Olympics. What was it like, first of all, to be selected? And then before we come on to your medal, what was it like to compete? Obviously, you didn't compete in London, but you experienced it. What was it like in a country that was so far away? What was the difference between London and, and Rio? And what was it like to compete in the Olympics? Yeah. Um, oh, a lot to unpack about Rio Olympics. Um, I think finding out that I had made the team um, because it was such a, uh, the trial process was so difficult um, and yeah, definitely hit one of my dips <laughs> in the middle of that. Um, and also peaked. So I finished fifth at the world championships, hit the score that I needed to be selected, but also it was to be considered. I hit a score to be considered. And then I had a bit of a rocky start to the, the next year trial processes. So it was, it was quite a difficult trial process. I didn't know if I was going to make the team, honestly, like it sounds really silly now because, um, you know, uh, because of how well the the Olympics went for me, but actually I really wasn't sure if I was going to make the team because there were three really strong competitors um, going for two spaces, basically. Um, there was actually five, five of us going for two spaces, but three really, really strong contenders going for two spaces. Um, and I didn't know if I was going to make it or be the reserve. Um, but I decided kind of before knowing that no matter what, no, if I wasn't going to be selected, that I'd still like train 100% to try and get this routine the way that I wanted to. And I didn't need an Olympics to be able to do that. It was almost like I could, I could achieve that peak routine at any point in the next few months of training. Um, so I found that very motivating again. So when I found out that I had made the team, uh, it was by phone call. Um, I think twelve fifty four, sixth of July. Um, is that fourth fourth of July? It's the uh, the fireworks day in the US. Four, is it fourth yeah. of July? Yeah, yeah, I think it was then. Um, and yeah, it was an amazing moment because it was kind of happiness, relief, um, excitement. Uh, but pressure because you know you've been selected over somebody else you want to make sure that you can do it right um 
just all these different emotions but mainly like happiness and relief <laughs> and just immediately start crying I was like thank you so much like please say you're not joking like this real um and I had to call like my you're not you're meant to keep it like uh confidential until any appeals process and stuff go through um but you're allowed to like I called up my coach and my parents um separately one was at work so I had to call my mum she was a teacher so I had to call her the staff room <laughs> and then they had to bring her over she started crying walked out and they're like what why are you okay she's like just I can't talk about it <laughs> because she's not allowed to say um so it was a really really exciting moment I was very excited to to compete and know that I could be becoming an Olympian and that I'd done enough um and then to compete at Olympics um I had three targets which were to enjoy the experience and uh to take it all in to learn from it um and to do the best I could in the competition um no matter what that was going to be it's just try my best and, see, and you know see what happens um so I definitely took in the experience I made sure that when I marched out um and onto the Olympic arena that I would be looking around taking in the crowd the cameras the judges the green so everything was very green um just taking it all in it's really really experience it and not be like having blinders on um and being so focused on the competition because I knew during the march if I took it in I would feel that that comp that I'm in the competition and it would bring my nerves I'd understand my body so um I didn't want to just be like oh my god routine da, da, da. I wanted to have I wanted to experience it I'm at the Olympic Games like this is an absolute dream got to take it in um and then yeah enjoyed it because really enjoyed like being on the trampolines doing the warm-ups uh the crowd I I love having a crowd and it was the biggest crowd that I'd ever experienced um apart from obviously being in the crowd at London <laughs> this was I was on the floor and being able to perform um so it's really really exciting uh, to compete and to warm up and train in that Olympic environment um and where the team GB kit I was very proud to be part of team GB um and with other athletes and from different sports um but yeah so the and then of course um competing on the trampoline uh and doing the best that I possibly could uh didn't quite make I got it on the set routine got it, didn't quite get it in the second routine but because my first routine was so good it helped me get into the final um and then the finals all to play for it starts from zero so it's a zero final and I was like, right, I've got one one more chance in this routine before I have to go for until I have to have time off the trampoline afterwards. This is my one last chance to get the routine how I want it. So that's all I was focused on was it wasn't the Olympic competition. It wasn't the Olympic finals. It wasn't Olympic coaches or competitors. It was just me and my routine trying to get it the best I possibly could because it was my one last chance uh, before having to have time off. So I was just thinking what I wanted to what I wanted the routine to feel like and how to do it I was got on the trampoline and started the routine the crowd started cheering which doesn't normally happen in trampolining but because it's a crowd of people that don't know about gymnastics trampolining they started cheering when they see when they see uh you know triple somersaults so I was like right if you're cheering this let me show you what else I could do and, <laughs> and kept going and, and I had that kind of capacity to switch in and out and understand the routine's going well let's push higher let's push higher um and when I finished the routine on the out jump you still got to uh stop the bed completely so you kind of have a free jump after your final skill and that's when I started to kind of process what was what was happening and not only was that the best routine that I possibly could have done at the time um that that routine was in the Olympic final and it was the best time I could have done that routine <laughs> Um, so before even hit, seeing any results, any uh, like scores or anything, I was already in tears because I was so happy that I was able to perform that routine at that time. You amazingly won silver medal for the Olympics. And am I right in saying it was the first time a British trampoline gymnast had won an Olympic medal as well? Yes. Yeah. So that must have been, again, incredible. And what was it like on the podium receiving your medal and how did you celebrate? <laughs> um <laughs> So, yeah, so I, I think because I was saying about the, the routine being the best it could be, like, and I had to, because I was seventh going in the finals, and it's in reverse order, so I had to watch the others compete, and I was like, oh, you know, I might finish fourth, like I've done at World Championships and European Championships before, but I'd be happy with that because I couldn't have done any better myself. Um, but when I found out that I had made a, a podium place, um, I was just, I kind of fell to the floor. I was just overcome with emotions. Um 
just really really proud happy excited um just in shock absolute shock uh that that happened um and I'd achieved my potential and then receiving the medal um <laughs> I actually missed the podium um as we were marching out because I was like waving to the GB crowd that I'd seen I'd spotted like just a few GB members from our team as I was waving I like bumped into Rosie who'd finished first because I thought we were like walking around the podium and and going to be stood the other side so I kept walking <laughs> bumped into her she had to put me back like it was so I was like trying to take in the moment and just went too far with it just not sure what was going on um and then like getting the medal just I don't know it just I tried to take it in but it was so difficult because I was so just in shock and just what is how is this happening um so it was just a very exciting and, and proud moment to be sitting on that podium and just trying to hold myself a little bit together <laughs> and then to celebrate so I well first of all we have to go through doping control so after that amazing um excitement and joy you have to go straight into like peeing in a pot <laughs> and going through doping control just sitting around waiting to need to go to the loo uh you go through media um and then finally catch up with uh, my coach my personal coach Paul um and then we we got like a taxi to this nearest and dearest house so you know I was saying about the nearest and dearest tent what they did for Rio was they did um a nearest and dearest it's called the team GB house which is not house it's this amazing space it's like a courtyard of um, these very grand buildings um like uh, the architecture is amazing pillars and everything uh lit up steps with the gb flag on and christ redeemer in the background all lit up and so it took you know it was however many hours after the competition um that i was finally able to get to this nearest and dearest uh tgb house where my parents were going to be uh because my parents were able to fly out and watch i had to wait hours and hours and hours march through have a quick media like uh, Q&A session at the front of this crowd which had like cheered me in this like because it was um also people can get tickets if you're fans of sport as well and to party so like they're all cheering I'm like high five with them as I'm going through get to answer these questions and then I was like can I please I've just spotted my parents please can I get up the stage you have to give them a hug um so like was like got to celebrate with my parents and my personal coach which was really exciting um and we're just in this like team GB like they they, tre- they treated us so well um you know they had like people coming in celebrating taking photos um offering you know, alcohol and and food and all this and I was like oh I've been on this um you know sports site for ages I don't I don't want to break the trend <laughs> but like you you can celebrate now it's absolutely fine so um had some macarons <laughs> um but yeah but because my teammate was competing the next day I had some media to do the next day as well and um so no, I'm not really into drinking alcohol so I didn't actually have any I don't think um I might have had like a glass of champagne but I don't think I don't think I did um I think I'll save that until after everyone can finish competing from my team and just celebrate with them um but yeah so we just it was it was really nice to be able to just chat everything through and read some really lovely messages um and posts that people had made so my, both my brothers were watching back at home um had like messaged and, and said how proud they were and uh, yeah it was really lovely congratulations thank you the henshaw's insurance group is one of the top 100 independent insurance brokers in the country and is here to bring you peace in mind we've been in business for over 50 years and have offices in newport shrewsbury and stafford our 45 plus strong team deals with both business and personal insurance and we offer a free, no obligation, consultations and quotations. So give us a call today. You then had five years. Um, until? Until the next Olympics in Tokyo 2021. This must have been difficult to prepare, pre- prepare for as it was cancelled in 2020 due, due to COVID-19. Was it different? Was it a difficult, difficult Olympics to prepare for? Prepare for well done. Yeah, for me, actually, uh, the delay gave me an extra year because um, I was 
to, to prepare for that one competition. So at the start of the of the Tokyo Olympic cycle, I had to have oh well, I had uh, an operation on my ankle to fix this ongoing injury that I was uh, struggling with. Um, and then actually the, the rehab process didn't go to plan. So I then had to have a second surgery. Um, so it's actually kind of not really training properly or in a rehab for like two years. So for the competition to be delayed, instead of having two years to prepare for Olympics, I was then going to have three. Um, so actually it gave me an extra year to train. Um, and I was I'm still I'm still trampolining now and I and I knew that I was going to be doing that so it wasn't like I had to prolong my pre- preparation for next year because I was already going to have that year for training for the next Olympics um so mentally that it helped me um I also completely agree that they shouldn't have gone ahead in uh 2020 because of the pandemic so um I think morally and and I've I was comfortable with that decision and I was just very grateful that it wasn't cancelled completely um and that it was postponed so for me that was that was fine um the struggle and the difficulty came with not being able to train on a trampoline uh because of being in lockdown so and my garden's not big enough to put a trampoline in um not even like we had a trampette like a little trampette like an exercise one that's all I had um and because my my garden's like decking so it wouldn't have even been strong enough to put a, mm. a smaller a slightly larger outdoor trampoline but yeah I couldn't fit one in um so yeah so I had to train uh, my fitness levels and actually gained fitness um and strength during that time uh, because for trampolining if you're fatigued um <coughs> trying to do the skills that you need to do if you're fatigued or ve- like very fatigued or domsy it's really hard to get the skills and the quality in training so actually not having a trampoline and trampoline sessions um, meant that I could train through this, this fatigue and this domsy feeling and really build my muscle strength, my, my fitness and push through that fatigue levels, which increased, you know, fitness levels as well. So although not being able to go on the trampoline, I gained things elsewhere. Um, and then when we finally were able to get on a trampoline a few months later, um, we had to return to training so slowly uh, because uh, the risk of injury was really high, like not having the training loads uh, for so long. So we had to, for me, I was like, I feel ready. I feel fit and healthy and ready to do it. But I knew that my ankles, you had to take, you know, increase the load gradually. Um, so that was a struggle. Uh, dizziness. I felt so dizzy getting back on the trampoline um, because it was almost like motion sickness. It was really weird. Um, so my, tra- my sessions, luckily, anyway, because the loading was so low um that kind of disappeared as I was doing harder stuff um but yeah for the first few weeks um I couldn't last very long on the trampoline sessions because I was getting feeling sick from from all the motion um <clears throat> so yes yeah, so that was difficult but I really enjoyed having some more time on the on the trampoline uh to be able to feel I was so grateful to be able to be on the trampoline again and to be in that position so that gratitude kind of you know made sure that every session was worth it was worth going in for was making the most out of every session um and not you know because we were in such a privileged position as we athletes to be able to go into training that didn't you know I didn't want to I wanted to make the most of that and and be grateful for it so you know I wanted to show that in my training and my efforts um then, so yeah it was it was difficult but being given an extra year helped me and then coming to the olympics in tokyo must have been the complete opposite experience to rio due to covid <laughs> was it a, a obviously it was very different olympics but what was it like for you Just give us a little insight into what the couple of weeks was like for you yeah um so just in the build-up to the the tokyo olympics compared to rio rio i was worried about getting injured and so that being the thing that stopped me from going to the Olympics uh, there was that that anxiety around it for Tokyo we had that but on top of that I had Covid and the risk of like if if you were to catch Covid that few weeks before you weren't going to the games like it was so there was that extra bit of worry um, and then going so the difference between Rio and Tokyo uh, in terms of just Olympic wise um, we went to a holding camp in Tokyo we were as part of Team GB they had a holding camp in 
Japan, um, Keio University. Rio, we chose not to do that because they had a camp uh, somewhere else in Brazil. <laughs> I can't remember mm. where it was, but we chose not to go to that because the facilities <coughs> for trampolining weren't um, weren't right. What didn't fit what we needed, um, <clears throat> and the jet lag wasn't going to be as bad. But yeah, so we chose to do a holding camp. So we got to experience a holding camp, which was really exciting. Uh, being part of Team GB the week Team GB the week before the Olympics, um, and that was really, it. Was just really nice to be part of that. Um, the difference between the whole Olympic experience is obviously everyone was wearing masks. Um, you weren't really, you weren't allowed to go outside the Olympic Village unless it was for your competition um, or for your training. Uh, so, but when you're in the village, it, the village life uh, felt very similar. The you were they had the canteen, which was uh, incredible. <laughs> It's just you see, you know, basketball players, really, really tall basketball players and the gymnasts really small and <laughs> just like and, you know, the uh, big wrestlers and like just seeing all the different shapes and sizes um, for all different countries. And then what people eat, <laughs> it's just it, it's so funny because it's like everyone's got different diets for different sports and different. It was just it's amazing. You're like walking around the tray turn and you hit someone else. who's like <laughs> you just hit their chest because they're so tall. Um, so yeah it's really an amazing thing to be part of and then just walking around the village you've got the rings where people take photos and that sort of side of things the excitement and the vibe was really very similar it was just that people were wearing masks people were being extra careful with you know hand sanitizing and stuff Um, the main difference came from the competition and just not having a crowd Um, again like the uh, decision a decision that I respect Um, but as personally it was a challenge for me to to compete where there's no crowd and I think the atmosphere felt flatter um and also it made me go into my own head a little bit more which I found really difficult because on the day of competition I felt a lot of pressure that I put on myself a lot of expectations and a lot of doubts were going through my head so not having that crowd was a challenge for me um because normally I could kind of focus on that and take that in and want to perform to them and, and not see it as a competition see it as that performance and I found it really difficult to to not listen to my brain that was telling me I couldn't do it. Um, so yeah, so it was a very different experience because I could I didn't couldn't take it in as much. Yeah. Will you see you at uh, Paris in 2024? I'm definitely training for Paris Olympics, um, and it's coming around very quickly <laughs> now. Um, but at least I've got the cycle, the Olympic cycle, off to a good start. Um, so I'm I'm really excited for, for the next few years of training. The the trampoline uh, structure com- in competition is changing slightly. So instead of doing that set routine, the easier routine, you do two two vols, two optional routines, and it's the best one to count, which is completely changing things because uh, consistency isn't as important for the first round, whereas consistency has always been important. So it means that I can kind of train in the background and upgrade routine and and try it out in competition when maybe not not be so consistent but actually could be a very high risk reward sort of scenario um so i'm excited to try out that like kind of push that ceiling up a little bit break through what i think my levels and boundaries are and try and go beyond that so yeah i see myself uh competing and, and trying to make the paris olympics Brilliant. And a few weeks ago, you won the, the World Championships in Baku individually. How was that for you? Was that, is that the highlight of your career? Oh, um, it's definitely one of the highlights. I think at the moment, like Rio, the, the Olympics, Rio Olympics, the, my first Olympics, my first Olympic medal, I think the emotions that I felt from that. And that was the first time I got to get, I got to stand on the, on a podium at a world stage uh, for at major championships um as an individual so i think that's always gonna gonna be a massive highlight but yeah this one yes just as much because um it meant that my name will be written in those history books alongside these idols that i've, I've looked up to and are world champions and um it's going to be on on that list and that's just so special for, to me to to be part of that um and I think the the competition itself, um, because because I've competed uh, only a few times this year actually because of COVID and and we didn't compete any time last year. So um, 
it was nice. We had a quite a large crowd. Um, we weren't allowed spectators at the competition. So the only crowd that we had were the trampoline delegations from different countries, um, trampoline, tumbling, DMT. So it actually ended up being, for the final, a relatively large crowd or the trampoline community. So it was really nice to be able to compete in, and perform in front of them because it's been so long since we've been able to do that. And I was performing a new routine. Um, so I was able to focus on that instead of the competition results. Um, I was competing a triple twist and double back as skill 10 instead of a double twist and double back. So I was upgrading it and I was really excited to compete that skill, skill 10, because not many women in uh, the history of trampolining have, have completed that in their bowl routines. Um, I say not many, there's, there's, you know, you can list them off, but it doesn't happen very often. So it's really exciting to be able to be one of them. Um, so I think that achievement in itself um, had a not, made a podium or anything I would have been excited about that so it was, it was really nice that that routine um got me onto a podium at a world championships individually which was my first time doing that and also for it to be the top and being a world yeah. champion very special brilliant again congratulations fantastic you're obviously a big inspiration for a lot of young girls in the age of kind of social media and body image and things like that lots of girls find it difficult to to look a certain way or be a certain way have you got any advice or anything that you'd give to to maybe a teenage girl right now about the kind of self-conscious and, and body image and things mm -hmm. like that yeah um I think one thing that's quite simple that that they can do um is obviously because of social media it's actually like seems really simple just start following people that have different body shapes and sizes and that celebrating that um and that people that look different and um well everyone looks different but you know the people that are celebrating that I think is that will help um just for that on their social media feed as they scroll through they're seeing that they're not just seeing what they you know social media is telling you what to look like it's actually you know find find some people to follow for that um but within themselves um just to realize you know it it's what's it sounds so cheesy and cliche but it's what's inside that counts more than what you look like and 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 so if you're putting in you know if you're following your values of like if it's working hard if it's being you know friendly to everyone if it's being kind to your friends you know being selfless like helping people like that's what really matters and um and just not to judge yourself or others by what they look like and how they uh, you know uh what efforts they put into their appearance it's more like what's behind that there's the, the the saying about judging a book by its cover not judging a book by its cover um it's really just trying to um help yourself do that for you but also don't judge others as well and that will help to to start it but i think for social media wise if you start to follow um people that are celebrating um their uniqueness or the way that they look um I think that's going to help. And if I say it from the Olympic side, and if you're in sport and if you've got um, a, a girl that's doing sport and she's conscious about her body, um, just <laughs> see if you can get any video of, of somebody going into, I think Tom Daly's done one where he goes into the canteen at an Olympics. And they, they're so, the, the amount of the people that are there and everyone's looking so different, different shapes and sizes that, you know, you don't have to look like a certain way to to be sporty or to be fit and healthy. So um, I think that's important to remember as well. Bryony, thank you so much for taking the time to chat to us today. I really, we've both really, really enjoyed it. And it's been a pleasure and yeah. honour to speak to you. So thank you so much. Thank you so much as well. All the best thank for you. the future. And Thank you. I've really enjoyed it. And really great questions that made me think <laughs> and relive some moments that, as well <laughs> I haven't thought about for a while. So thank you. Brilliant. Have a good day and we'll see you soon. Thank you. Bye. 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 So after the podcast is just finished and Bryony's mm. just gone, how did you feel that podcast went? Um feel um good actually. Am I, am I interested? She's um missed Olympics in 2012. Yeah. And then she's got injury her um a leg or yep. something like that. Yeah, so she met, talked about missing the London 2012 Olympics, which must have been very disappointing being a, a home Olympics and, and missing out. But I suppose that gave her a lot of motivation mm. to make it to Rio and Tokyo, where she won two medals. 
Yeah. And um, so she's got a silver and a bronze. So hopefully, fingers crossed, come Paris 2024, she can get the last medal she's after, which would be a gold medal, which would be amazing. Yeah. So after that, well done. Another Thank brilliant you. podcast. Thank you. You still enjoying them? Yeah, still enjoying it, yeah. Good. You, you're doing very well and you're developing lots of amazing skills. So keep it up. Well done, mate. Thank you. So thank you so much for all of your kind messages and your reviews of the podcast. We've got one here from Lucy in Cheltenham who says, fantastic podcast, boys. It's really inspirational to listen to you talk to these athletes. And Tom and Avatar, you're doing a fantastic job and we can really hear your skills developing each week. So keep it up, boys, and well done. Thank you so much for your reviews. And if you want to leave us a review, if you're on Apple Podcasts, please go on to there and at the bottom, you can leave us a rating and review. We enjoy reading them out and it means a lot to us to, to get your feedback. So if you can leave us a review, that's amazing. Thank you. And hopefully Tom will Tom will be back next week and, and take over for me because he's far better at this than me, isn't he? Yeah. Right. Thank you so much for listening and we will see you all next week. See ya. The TWS Sports Podcast combines autism and sport. This unique podcast is hosted by children with autism, and each week they interview famous sportsmen and women from around the world. The TWS Sports Podcast takes you deep into the sports star's career, their highs and lows, what happens away from the field of play, and so much more. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all other podcast apps. The TWS Sports Podcast, where autism and sports combine. Sports Social Podcast Network.